How you doing? Good to see you. Although I can't see you. Just have to imagine you. And uh, looks like you've put on a little weight. Uh, I'm going to imagine that because I have. So uh, here we are. Here we are. Uh, you know, in how many ever weeks? You know, we were counting weeks before, and now it's months. And here we are, still online. And uh, it's so, it's so, I'm so glad for this opportunity. I'm so glad to be able to gather with you. But I, I so miss us being able to gather in person. And some might be asking, when are we going to meet again? Well, the, the hard answer on that is, I don't know. Uh, I, I'd like to say next week we're going to start meeting together or in a few weeks. Uh, I know some churches have begun to meet again uh, in different places. We, we're still under the, the direction of Dallas County. Dallas County has asked us not to meet. I know every church is not observing that, and, and uh, that's fine. I'm not, I'm, I don't, I'm not trying to be political about it in any way at all. Uh, but we will, we're looking at <laughs> meeting after we go back to school. Uh, we kind of want to wait. I don't want to start and stop. I don't want to begin to meet and then have to pull back again and stop meeting, then start meeting, then stop meeting. Uh, we did that once in June, and so I'd rather not do that again. So we're going to wait. Just keep praying with us. We just, you know, we're just trying to make the right decision. There's not a decision that we can make that everybody's going to like. And I understand that. That is the, that's the nature of decision-making. Uh, pray with us that we'll, that we'll be guided, directed. The Lord will help us know what to do. Okay, so today we're, we're still in the life of David. We've got one more week in the life of David, and we're going to be in a new series after that about the kingdom of God. Uh, I, and I want to encourage you uh, to join with us in, in that series also. But today I want to talk about something that, you know, it's, it's always not fun to talk about this, but the reality of the fact that the battle never ends. You know, we, you know, it's, it's like, when will it get easier? You ever, ever ask that? You know, you ever wonder that? Uh, when, will, when will it get better? When, uh, when will I have less obstacles? When will I have less trouble? When, when will I have fewer challenges? You know, that we all want that. We're, we, we, you know, we all want as easy a, a life as possible. I mean, let's be honest, don't we? Uh, we that's what we want. So when we have, we're having difficulty, and we often have difficulty, is I would say, and I, I believe this, Jesus said, in the world you'll have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. He doesn't want us to focus on the trouble. He wants us to focus on him. The cheer doesn't come from the lack of trouble. He says, you're going to have trouble in the world. So trouble is a, is a known, it is a constant. But the reality of that, the strength of that is that we have the Lord in the midst of those struggles. We have the Lord to help us and be with us, give us strength. He says, I've overcome the world. So in the reality, life is a series of problems, then you die. Life is, uh, life is difficult. Life is a challenge. And so we see this today in the life of David. Second Samuel chapter 21, verse 15. Now, I want you to just notice this terminology. Now, when the Philistines were at war again with Israel. Now, David, David has defeated the Philistines hundreds of times by this point in his life. Now, he's probably, at, at this point in the story, he's probably in his 60s. He's going to reign until he's 70 years old. He's right, you know, in the chronology of the the 
the stories. We're towards the end of the story of David where he's going to hand over the kingdom to his son Solomon. And uh, we're towards the end, so it's, we don't know exactly when it is, but somewhere between 60 and 70. Uh, so he's in his 60s. He's defeated, he's defeated the Philistines from the time he was 15 years old when he, when he stood against Goliath in that field. And here now, 45 years later, he's still fighting the Philistines. Now, when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David went down and his servants with him, and they fought against the Philistines. And David became weary. Then Ishbabinab, who was among the descendants of the giant, the weight of whose spear was 300 shekels of bronze in weight, was girded with a new sword. He wanted to show it off his new sword, and he intended to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruah, helped him and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall not go out again with us to battle, so that you do not extinguish the lamp of Israel. That's like everybody telling you you're old. Right? They're like saying to David, David, we love you, but you're too old to go out to battle with us. We don't know if he didn't, uh, but that's what they're trying to get to happen. Uh, now, it came, after, came about after this that there was war again with the Philistines at Gad. So they have a war, they win that war, uh, a little bit of time passes by, there's another war with the Philistines at Gad. Then Sebekia, the Hushathite, struck down Saph, who was among the descendants of the giant. So there's a, another giant down. So that's one of the points of this story. There was war with the Philistines again at Gob. There's war again. And, and Ethelon, Ethanon, I think that's right, Elthahan, the son of Jahar Oregum, the Bethlehemite, killed Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Verse 20, there was war again where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. 24 in number made it easier for him to do math. And he was also been born to the giant. When he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, David's brother, struck him down. These four were born to the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. So we just see in this text, not only do we see the giants that keep coming, this is, this is, by the way, the end of the giants in the Bible story. We see giants begin before the flood, and we see them continuing. Even after the flood, there's giants that show up in Canaan. One of the things that they have to do is defeat the giants. And then one of the first things that David does is he in, enters into his covenant promise is that he has to defeat the giant Goliath. And he, they, finish, they, uh, they finish off the giants that are with the Philistines. So here's the reality. We see this. It's war again, war again, war again. There was war again. There was war again. And here's the reality. It's always a battle. And the reason there's always a battle is because we have a real enemy who wants to destroy us. Here's what the Bible says. First Peter 5, 8. First Peter says this. Be of sober spirit. In other words, you know, Pay attention. Be on the alert. 
Your adversary, you have an adversary. You have someone, what is an adversary? An adversary is someone who is against you. They're not for you, they're against you. Your adversary, the person who is against you, he's against you every day, in every way possible. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who, in, who are in the world. So, so Peter says, listen, there's an enemy who's trying to destroy you. He knew this firsthand. Jesus said to him one day, hey, Peter, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. So Peter understood the struggle of temptation and the struggle of failure in failing in that temptation, of not winning that particular battle. He understood that. So he's saying, listen, guys, every day you have to be ready. Every day you have to prepare yourself. And then Paul gives us some insights on how to do that. He says, listen, since you've got to be constantly be on the alert, one of the things that you need to do every day is that you need to put on the whole armor of God. In other words, and when, when do you need to do that? You need to do it every day. In other words, you you need to prepare for battle every day. So you need to put on the whole armor of God, Ephesians 6, 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. When's the evil day? It's today. Ephesians says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Time is always against us. You know, time's not on your side. It's, uh, we're always fighting against the, the limited access of time. And so in this evil day, and so we're going to have to resist. So we have to put on the whole armor of God so that we'll be able to resist in the evil day, which is today, and to stand firm. firm. So we're going to stand firm, therefore having girded your loins with truth. Uh, to gird your loins was like to put on a belt, put on the, you know, put on the belt of truth. Surround your life with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So not, it's not only we're in a battle, but we're having arrows shot at us all the time. All the time. These little, you know, little arrows are coming from all different directions. So we have to have the shield of faith to stand up against those arrows and take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. What do you, the helmet covering your head to make you not vulnerable? You know, what you believe, what you think. The, what do you believe about your salvation? What was accomplished through your salvation? Why did God save you? What is the purpose? What is the, what is the outcome of salvation? What does God believe about you? What do you believe about God? The, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, this, this is the offensive weapon to, not to be offensive, but to, be, to go on the off, offense. Maybe I said that incorrectly, right? Uh, the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. Then he says, top it off with all prayer and petition. Pray at all times in the spirit with this in view. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So he's saying, listen, every day, the whole armor of God from head to toe. No Saturdays, no Sundays, no paid time off, no vacations. Every day, it is a battle 
to believe the right thing and to do the right thing. Because all of the armor of God is what you believe. The armor of God is about what you believe. What do you believe? Do you believe you have the breastplate of righteousness? Do you believe that you have a righteousness that is not your own, but that has been bought for you with a price, that you have received the righteousness of God in Christ, that you are the righteousness of God in Christ? Do you believe that because the Word of God says it? Because not every day do you wake up and think, ooh, today I feel like the righteousness of God in Christ. But you are. So we stand not on our feelings because our feelings come and go and our emotions come and go, but we stand upon the promise of the Word of God. And we take the shield of faith and we take the Word of God and we gird our loins with truth. We shot our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We're ready to take the gospel everywhere we go. So we prepare for a real battle every day to believe the right thing and do the Christ-like right thing. Now, for David, it's a little different. For David, this is a, a physical battle. This is a real physical battle. There are actual there's an actual army of Philistines that are trying to defeat them. There's actually, we're having four, we see four different cases of different, they go to battle and a different, it's like, it was like they were only willing to spare a giant a battle, you know? So, because it's like, well, you know, every time David shows up, he kills a giant. So, so we can't, let's not send them all in, we don't lose them all at the same time. Uh, so they're, they're, they have different battles. And these different giants are involved in the battle. Uh, but this is a real battle. It's a real physical battle. He's got real humans, you know, real people that, that are trying to kill him. And we usually don't have that. I mean, you know, honestly, right now, I mean, this season of our life, uh, there are certainly places in the world where they're, they're, they're vastly, greatly suffering for their faith. There are, there are places where people are are killed because of their faith. At this season of time, right now in America, we don't have that. Uh, it's not guaranteed that it's going to last forever. Uh, there are, there's, but there are, and there are certain places in the world where people right now are dying for their faith. But we, we, we don't normally have people physically trying to kill us, but we still have an enemy who wants to put people in our path to discourage and oppose us. For Paul, Paul said this, 2 Timothy 4.14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Uh, Paul had people that opposed him and worked to obstruct what Christ was doing through him because he was daily in a battle. The same thing is true about you. It may not be perceivable. It may not be always recognizable. But you have an enemy who is going to bring people into your life to distract you from your purpose and your mission and your calling and to diminish the work of God in your life, to distract you, to dis disable you where you're not effective by being, bringing people in your life. So Paul had these people that came into his life that, uh, that, that brought trouble. And we all have that. We have it at work. We have it 
in, in family. We have it, you know, that it just happens to be a part of life. People are going to come to your life. Uh, people are going to drive into your life. They're going to bring you trouble, right? If you have to drive in traffic, you understand that. So Paul had people that opposed him. And he said, Paul said about this, about conflicts in 2 Corinthians. He said, we fight physical conflicts. In other words, we fight conflicts with real people who are causing us harm and difficulty and frustration or have wounded and hurt us. We fight real physical conflicts spiritually. We fight spiritual conflicts, physical conflicts, sorry, spiritually. 2 Corinthians 10, 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we're we're in the flesh, right? We're flesh and blood. Everybody here flesh and blood. Nobody here is a spirit that we can't see. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. In other words, we don't war the way the flesh does. Uh, and how does the flesh war? You get me, I get you. You punch me, I punch you. You punch me, I punch you harder. You say something bad about me, I come back at you. You disagree with me, I attack your, your uh, parentage. In other words, physical, in words, I'm in it to win it. I'm in it to beat you. So Paul says that's not how we, that's not how we fight. We don't fight, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. He said, our weapons are, are, are spiritual weapons, and they do, do more than just win a skirmish. They destroy whole <laughs> structures that are raised up against us. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Paul said, we don't war according to the flesh. We don't fight the way the world fights. Our response is not, in other words, yes, we're in the world, and there are people that are, well, that are against the work of God, the people of God, the things of God, the truth of God. And so how do we fight that? We don't fight that with a physical confrontation. Paul didn't send a Christian hit squad to go and take care of Alexander the coppersmith. He didn't respond to him with anger and vitriol and gossip. He just said, hey, this guy is, uh, is not on our team. He's against us. What did he do? He turned it over to the Lord. The first thing he did is he gave it to God. One of the first things you have to do with people is give them to God. He said, yeah, he's done these horrible things. He said, but the Lord will repay him. Another place, Paul says in Romans, never take your own revenge, beloved, but it's so much fun. But leave room for the wrath of God. Or don't take whose job is revenge. It's God's job. So don't try to take God's job from him. Because I guarantee you, he can do a better job than you can. 
So we want to trust him to do his work. He says, so never take your own revenge. Do what Paul did. He said, you know what? I've just turned it over to God. I've given this to God. I'm trusting God with this. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. He fought the battle by giving it to God. He fought the battle in prayer. One of the ways that we often have to fight people who are physically coming against us is that we can't fight them physically. We fight them spiritually. We fight them spiritually by turning them over to God, and we fight them spiritually by praying for them. Here's what Paul said to the Thessalonians. He said, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you. He said, pray that people receive the truth like you receive the truth because it's changed your life. Just like what William was talking about. He's talking about how how God, God met him in the middle of his life. All those things that the not having a father and all the things. God used all of those things to draw him to a true father. He said, just as you receive the truth, William's talking about how good it is to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And I want to say an amen to that. It's great to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you have invited him in your heart, if you haven't done that, I would encourage you to ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And he did that. And Paul is saying, those of you who have done that, how you responded to the gospel, And, you know, these were Gentiles coming out of of worshiping all these pagan gods. He said, now you've come to follow Christ, the true God. And it's not just another religion added on to your sordid life. He said, this is life change. This is turn your life around, just as it's happened with you. Pray for us that the word of God will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did with you and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith. So he says, first of all, when you have a problem with people, turn it over to God, then pray for them. And then he fought the, the battle within himself, the battle within himself. We had this battle within ourselves. People hurt us, what do we want to do? We want to hurt them back. People wrong us. We won't wrong them back. I mean, you know, just, 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 just look at comments on social media. I talked about it this week in the e-bulletin, in the e-branch, about how we respond. You know, we get riled up on social media because it's so easy to do so because, you know, people just, uh, today people value their opinions, and we all suffer this. We're struggling from this. We value our opinions as truth, and your opinions are not necessary. They might have some truth in them. They might be full of baloney. But we so value and hold on to our opinions that we, we're not willing to receive correction. Now, I want to tell you, there's nobody on Facebook who wants you to tell them the right answer. They don't care what the right answer is. They've already made it. You know, it's like, don't tell me the truth. I've already made up my mind. Uh, so, you know, that's a, that's a whole other sermon. But he fought the battle in himself. We have this battle within us. What's this battle within us is to be hurt. To, to respond out of hurt, to respond out of pain. Alexander the coppersmith's done me much harm. I'm going to get him back. Paybacks. He's going to get what's coming due to him. But he says, no, I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to pray for him. And he says, I'm going to forgive him. Paul wrestled with that internal struggle that we all have of people who hurt him. Have you been hurt by anybody? Well, that's one of the realities of life. That's one of the things that's happening because it's the daily struggle. We're in the daily struggle. Part of the daily struggle of life is your, this life involves people. I mean, you know, 
If, if you want to be on a desert island where you're by yourself, you won't have much of a struggle. Unless you're, you know, unless Wilson disappoints you. <laughs> but Paul says this, but one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. He's talking to the Corinthians about forgiving a person who has sinned and fallen. For indeed, what I have forgiven, I, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ. He says, why did I forgive? I want you to notice this. I forgave so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan because we are not ignorant of his schemes. We're not ignorant of his devices. Paul says, I know that Satan would like to lock me up with a bunch of unforgiveness and bitterness going on in my heart to keep me from being effective in the kingdom today with what God's called me today. He wants to keep me from my mission of preaching the good news to the Gentiles. He wants me to get offended and hurt and march off and feel sorry for myself, but I'm not going to do that. I've been hurt. I've been wounded, but I've given it to God, and my Savior has been wounded greater than I'll ever be wounded on my behalf. So because of that, because he forgave me, has anybody here been forgiven? Yes, we have. So Paul says, I'm going to deal with that with forgiveness. He fought the battle. So there's that internal battle to forgive, to let go of revenge, to let go of paybacks. See, for most of us, the battle is not a giant in a battlefield singing a a sword or a sword, either one. You know, whichever you have. If you have a sword, use it. If you have a sword, use it. Uh, it's the battlefield in our minds. We're, we're not dealing with, you know, seven-foot giants with six fingers and six toes and, a, and a, a spear the size of, you know, a weaver's beam. Uh, we're dealing with, with the giant of fear. I mean, what are, what are people struggling with? You walk, you walk out in the community today and you'll find there are a lot of people right now in the midst of this pandemic, they're afraid. They're, 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 they're afraid of, of dying. They're afraid of this disease. And it has them, it has, it has them locked. And God wants, to, God wants you to use wisdom and common sense, but he doesn't want you to be bound by fear. Worry. We become anxious, you know, we become, we begin to try to figure out, well, how is this going to work out? How, how are we going to make it through? Uh, we get unbelief where we're, we're not trusting God in the moment. We, you know, we're, we just see the giants. I mean, you think about when David went and faced Goliath the first time, there was a whole army of Israel and Saul, the commander, Saul who was taller than everybody else, who, who was the most equipped to fight the giant, but was unwilling to face the giant. But it wasn't because he was not militarily prepared. He was not spiritually and emotionally prepared. He saw the giant as a giant, and he saw David said, well, yeah, he's a giant, but my God's bigger. He didn't see the giant at all. In relationship to its size, he saw, well, yeah, yeah, it's a giant, but you know, I killed a lion and a bear too, and they're big, but, and, but God did it. So we're facing these giants of fear, worry, unbelief, wrong ideas about God, wrong ideas about ourselves in Christ. So the battle 
is to, Paul said, to destroy speculations and lofty things raised up against the knowledge of God and bring every thought captive to Christ. So we, we want to bring up all, everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We are in this culture today. You, need, you got to get a hold of this. In this culture today, we live in the information age or the technological age that is burdened with information. I'm not sure which one it is. We have so, we are bombarded with so much stuff. Speculations. I mean, you know, you know, we say this jokingly. Well, it has to be the truth. It's on the internet. And the reality is, is it the truth? Is there a way of even discerning if it's the truth? It's, it is often opinion that has been cloaked to look like the truth, but it's just opinion. Even today, when you listen to the news, you don't get the news. You get somebody's opinion of what's happening. So that if you listen to different voices, if you listen to this voice, this is what's happening. If you listen to this, this voice, this is what's happening. What's really happening? How do you find out what's really happening? It's, so we're bombarded with oh, so much. You know, we get more information in a day than people who lived in ancient times got in their whole life. We get bombarded with more stuff, and a big portion of it is not true. And then another big portion of it is it is an attack on the truth of God's Word. In other words, we're, we're constantly being bombarded with the world's view of truth. And so we're having to, to deal with the fact that I'm hearing, you know, think about this. We've invited this platform. I mean, I'm using it. I'm using the platform. And you've got the platform in your pocket. So you're holding this source of information in your hand, and it's going to tell you how much time you spent on it today and, you know, and, how, and whether your, your time went up or down and all of that. But we've invited this information into our lives, and what is happening, we need to recognize this has happened. We're being told lie after lie after lie after lie after lie after lie after lie until that lie feels like the truth. The world system is trying to conform us into its mold. Paul said to the Romans, do not be conformed to this world. The world is endeavoring to push us into the mold. And so we're, as much as any time in your life, you need to know what God's Word says so you can battle the lie. Because if there's no other way. There's no, no, no other source of truth. You need Jesus in your life. You need the Holy Spirit in your life. You need the Word of God in your life so that He can continually lead you in truth. And you can invite Him into, Lord, there's areas where I have, I have allowed myself to believe the lies of this world. I have been beguiled. I have been swayed. I've been hornswoggled. 
That's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> so how do we battle it? We have to battle it with the Word of God. God's Word is truth. You need to have to get the enemy out of the tower. So Paul is making a reference here when he talks about casting down imaginations, everything that exalts itself against the, the Word of God, is that in a sense, he's saying, you think about a walled city and towers, you know, this is how they did battle. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have communication. So they would build towers. And so they would build, you know, out every couple of miles within visual range, they would, they would build a tower that they could set on fire. They could have a fire so they'd send a signal if the enemy was coming. And then they would wall in the city and in those walls, they'd build towers in the city and in those towers, they would put people to communicate with whoever was command from, from one tower. The other towers would communicate with the towers. Hey, the enemy is coming around uh, to our flank. The enemy's coming around this direction. We need to move troops this way. We need to prepare. The enemy's trying to get through the east gate, move people towards the east gate. There, we need to buttress up the east gate. because people, So they fought the battle by, by understanding where the enemy was coming from. Paul said, what's happened is that the enemy is in your tower. The enemy is in your tower, and the enemy is in your tower giving you faulty information. So that when the enemy is trying to come into the east gate, he's sending you to the west gate. So that there's no resistance against the enemy at the east gate. Said, you've got an enemy in the tower. So he said, you have to cast down speculations. You have to cast down the thoughts and ideas of this world, this good sounding things that are coming against the knowledge of God. You have to cast them out. He said, it's, it's not that they're out there, they're in here. And you have to fight the battle in your mind to align your thoughts with God's truth. That's one way to fight the battle, is to align your thoughts with God's truth. You want to cast down imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. So we have to fight that battle. You got to get the bats out of your belfry. <laughs> Belief, because here's the reality. Belief determines behavior. You don't change behavior by changing actions. There's no power to change actions alone. Willpower will change actions for a short period of time. If you want to change what you're doing, you have to change the reason as to why you're doing it. You have to change the belief, the theology, the operating system behind it. You have to, you have to change what you believe if you want to long-term change behavior. God is not in the behavior-changing business. He is in the life-change business. He's in the mind-changing business. And then the behavior follows. So, I'm running out of time. So David became weary. Now when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David went down and his servants with him and they fought against the Philistines. David became weary. We all get weary. Paul experienced this. 2 Corinthians 1.8, Paul said, we don't want you to, we, for we do not want you to be unaware. It would have been just easier to say, let me tell you what happened. I want you to be aware brethren of our affliction which came to us in Asia that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Now that's pretty, that's pretty despondent, right? Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves 
so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and he will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. So Paul experienced times where he was emotionally, psychologically, physically worn out. Even Jesus experienced it. We know that when he was tempted in the wilderness, that after he was, we know that he was hungry, we know that he was thirsty, and that afterwards angels came and ministered to him. When Jesus went into Samaria, it says this, so Jesus being wearied from his journey, he was a man in flesh, and he got tired. He got tired of walking, he got thirsty was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, hungry, thirsty, tired, disappointed. Was Jesus ever disappointed? Sometimes he said to his disciples, oh, you bunch of dodo heads. Well, he said, you foolish generation. How long am I have to put up with you? And one time Peter said, Lord, may it never happen to you. And he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You're not proposing the will of God, but Satan's will. He got irritated. He got weary. Guess what? You're going to get tired too. You're going to get, you're going to get worn out. And there's different kinds of tired. There, there's physically tired. And if, you're, if you get really physically tired, it can open you up to being, getting weary in other areas emotionally. Like if you have to work long, long hours for a long period of time, if you're under a lot of physical stress, it can lead to emotional stress. Uh, you can be physically weary and worn out. You can be mentally weary. You can be mentally tired. You can be emotionally weary. You can, where you're, you know, you're, you're fighting, you're having relational conflicts and there's stuff going on. You're just like, oh, I'm tired of this. I'm, I'm so done with this. But yet, in all of those areas, we all, here's the reality. So David is this great warrior. He's this great, uh, great at strategy. He's a great strategist. Couldn't come up with that word. He's great at strategy. And uh, he's a great warrior, and he's fought giants, and he's won battle after battle after battle after battle. I mean, he just had virtually, the whole time, he has not seen defeat. And yet here he is, at a time in his life, uh, he's weary. He gets weary. It makes him susceptible. So when he gets weary, what happens? When he gets weary, then the giant showed up to kill him. Big chicken giant. He was afraid to face him when he was strong and, and in strength. He waited till he was weary. Then Ishbinab, who was among the descendants of the giant, the weight of whose spear was 300 shekels of bronze, was and he with, he was girded with a new sword, and he intended to kill David. The enemy looks to exploit your weaknesses in a time of weariness, in a time of emotional weariness, in a time of physical weariness. He wants to exploit those wearinesses. So in that time, God sent David some help. But Abishai, the son of Zeruah, this is his nephew, helped him and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, you shall not go with us to battle so that you may not extinguish the lamp of Israel. Now, if David had been prideful when Abishai showed up to help him with the giant who was trying to kill him because he was tired, he was wearied, and 
If he had been prideful, you know, he could have said, wait, 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 wait here, nephew. Abishai is his nephew, his sister's son. Hey, nephew, I know we fought a lot of battles together, but remember, I'm the giant killer here. Nobody else has killed a giant but me. And he could have been prideful. Pride often keeps us from getting the help we need when we need it. People come by to help us and we reject it. Or people may say, hey, listen, I noticed that your marriage is in trouble. Maybe you need to go to some counseling. Oh, not me. Me, I'm much smarter than everybody else. I don't need, I don't need to go to counseling. I don't need anybody telling me how to do my life. Well, I think you do because it looks like you're doing a pretty lousy job at it yourself. We're often so, in other words, so pride keeps us from receiving help. Dave, if David had been prideful, he'd have been dead. The Lord sends people to help us. Now, here's the thing. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Did people hurt Paul? Yes. Did people help Paul? Yes. People are a mixed bag. God's going to send people to help you. 2 Timothy 1.14. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Philagus, Phagellus, and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Anesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. When, but when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. So not everybody was not around. But sometimes, even though somebody comes around, when they do come around, there were other people who didn't come around. And you were expecting people to come around. And the people that you expected to come around didn't come around. So when somebody does come around that you weren't expecting, it's like to you in your mind that nobody came around. Does that make sense? Words where we're expecting something that doesn't happen, we get disappointed, and then when it does happen, we don't appreciate what happens. But Paul in this instance says, Onesiphorus looked for me in Rome at my first offense. Nobody was with me. Nobody was there. I was expecting people to be there. Nobody was there. But now, Onesiphorus came, and he looked for me, and he refreshed me, and he was not ashamed of my change. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. There was some effort involved. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you know very well what services he rendered in Ephesus. Often our pride pushes people away when we need them the most. Paul didn't let the betrayal of Alexander the coppersmith keep him from the encouragement of Onesiphorus. He didn't let the previous hurt keep him from the way that God was going to refresh him in the present. If you live in past hurts, it'll keep you from receiving what God wants to use in your life today. The people that God wants to bring in your life today to bring the refreshing of God, the presence of God, and the reality of God. You see, here's the reality. God used Alexander and Onesiphorus in the life of Paul. God used both of them. He used Alexander's betrayal to push Paul deeper into Christ. 
And he used Anesiphorus' presence to refresh him when he was weary. God is going to use both. God's not going to waste anything in your life. The Bible says he's going to cause all things to work together for good. Just like William was saying. William had a, a tough childhood. That childhood was one of the things that God used. Did God cause his father not to be around? No. Did God use that to prepare him for a heavenly father? Yes. God used both Alexander and Onesiphorus, and he will in your life too. So, i got to stop because I'm way over time. Not that it really matters because you could have turned this off a long time ago if you wanted to, and maybe you already did. Uh, so you wouldn't be getting this anyway. So God wants to help you. What's the reality? Wherever you are, God wants to help you through the brokenness of the past. He doesn't want that to hinder you from receiving what he wants to do in the present. He wants to work in your life. So let's just go to him and ask him to help us today. Father, we don't want the past to hinder, the past hurts to hinder what you want to do in our lives today. Lord, I ask that you would use those pastors to drive me into trusting you, that I'm going to give it to God. I'm not going to seek revenge. I'm going to pray. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to give it to you. And Lord, thank you for the people that you've brought into my life in the present to bring in the presence of God, the reality of Jesus Christ, to focus me on the goodness of God and the mercy of God and your provision. Thank you, Lord, for that. I want to I let go of the pain of the past. I want to embrace what you're doing in my life today. I want to move forward. I don't want to be held in the bondage to the past in Jesus' name. Lord, some people today are facing giants of all kinds. You know what they are. You are our great giant slayer. You come to our help. You come to our aid. And we ask you, Lord, for help. There's some people here today that specifically, they, they're facing giants. Lord, be our strength. Be our help. Be our hope. Be our life. In Jesus' name, amen. It's good to be with you today. I love getting to spend this time with you, and I can't wait until we're back together again. Isn't that a country song? <laughs> I'll, see, I'll see you next week. <laughs>